0: you, it's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. (laughs) You guys good? Hey, my name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to be gathering with you here today. Thanks for making it on this really weird winter-summer kickoff. I don't know which side we're in, I'm, like, cold in the room, and it's warm sometimes, and I don't know if I should get my winter gear out. Danielle called me on thir- on Saturday. I was out of town. She's like, hey, where are the boys, like, snow clothes? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. We put it up because it's not supposed to be here. So I'm glad you guys made it. Welcome to kind of the kickoff of summer. We're wrapping up our series today, Text and Call. And listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome in this community. And props to you. Average stats are coming in. The average, like, good church attender in America. America right now is like 0.8 times a month. <laughs> I don't even know how that works out. 0.8 times a month. So props to you for not being a stat well done. Um, but it's been really cool. As we get into summer, we have a really cool series kicking off next week throughout our summer, our summer teaching series through the book of Nehemiah. It's going to be awesome. But today we're wrapping up a series, and I'm super pumped to wrap up this time together. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, it's going to be helpful to you as we wrestle through a couple of things. So last week, in the middle of this series, we were talking about the priority of Jesus. So I don't know what you think about when you think about Jesus, what you've heard about from others, but when we talk about the priority of Jesus, if you say, okay, if he only came to do one thing. What was Jesus' like primary thing? And we spent some time talking about Jesus and his heart for those who were not in the family of God yet. And so we, we talked about what would it look like to live on mission. And so we used this, this idea last week that living on mission with Jesus is not a divine obligation But a loving invitation to join God in what he's already doing. And so everywhere that you and I live, work, and play, God is active in loving and pursuing our neighbors and friends. If you are are, are a follower of Jesus, there was a point in time when you were not a follower of Jesus. There was a point in time when you weren't in the family of God, and God was working through others and on your heart to draw you to himself. And he's doing the same thing through you and I. And so we clarify just what it means to live on mission. We talk about that a lot here at City Church. Our mission is to help people find their way to God from where they are. Are. What that means is we want to meet people where they are and simply help them to take the next step. So no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, our, our desire is simply that, to meet you where you are and help you take a next step. Um, but we, we landed on this big invitation last week. What would it look like to live a life of invitation. And the beautiful thing about this community, as our church has been growing and you know, we turned three in March, that a lot of the culture and DNA is you already people who live lives at invitation. So, so we kind of circle back around to just re-inspiring and focusing on, okay, hey, we have the summer as a privilege and an opportunity to party hard and enjoy the sunshine and live life. And so today we're going to get into the how, because it's not just like, hey, invite people to church. We talked about that last week. Like That's absolutely a great thing to do. And this is a life-giving community, and this is a great space to build community, and it's, and it's awesome, but it's not the only thing. In fact, nine out of my ten neighbors are not coming to City Church on a weekend, and, and it's not because I haven't invited them. <laughs> it's because they said no. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. But we don't stop loving them there. You know, I, I, I don't know about you. I grew up in the South. I didn't grow up in church, but I grew up around, like, church culture kind of in the south and there was this idea that basically the only responsibility of a Jesus follower was was to invite people to church so they could hear a professional Christian explain Jesus to them Um, and and so first of all I'm not a professional Uh, and and secondly some of you are more equipped than I am to help your friends meet Jesus but we talk about this like I, I had friends that'd be like oh well I invited my friends to church they just didn't want to come and they just kind of give up and I'm like man that's not how Jesus loves He would go out of his way. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He would go to them. And that's our heart here at City Church. We love to gather. It's important that we gather. We love the weekend gathering. But there's six and a half other days of the week that you and I are living and working and playing. And Jesus has the intention to work in and through us in tangible ways of love. So today we're going to talk about the how. But when we talk about this, there's this really weird word that floats around. If you're new to church, you might not be familiar with it. But for some of you, you have any exposure to church, you've heard this word evangelism. Ooh, give you the heebie-jeebies, right? Like, what does that even mean, right? Is it like, and and maybe as we start talking about living on mission with Jesus, it's the language we choose. um, Maybe things come to mind of like people knocking on doors uh, um, or or standing on a a corner with a big sign, you know, with some maybe things that are less than pleasant. Like, what what, what does it look like to live on mission with Jesus? And maybe it's not as weird as some of the things that you have seen in your life or some of the experiences that you've had. Like, what if living life, on mission with Jesus is more like sharing a meal with someone far from God. What if it's simple acts of service like delivering 75 gift bags to all of the teachers at Crestview Elementary? What if it's living your life in such a way that it causes other people to beg the question? Right? Like, what, like, Why do you love like that? Why do you serve like that? Why do you show up like that? Why is your disposition always like that? What if it was living our lives in such a way that it causes others to beg the question and it always points back to Jesus. What if it's simply meeting people where they are? And, and by the way, I, I think uniquely to Jesus' heart is he, all, he, he was really good at meeting people in the place of pain. So, so, so there's all kinds of different ways to meet people, but we should not ignore the, the, the reality. I, I did a culture study on Boulder when we first moved here uh, a couple of years ago, and the number one biggest challenge and felt need in the city of Boulder, 110, 115,000 people, the number one biggest felt need was loneliness, Um, and and then you add a pandemic on top of that and it just blows up. There was a survey done where where a majority of Americans said that they have no close friends and that has quadrupled over the last 10 years. 54% today, 54% of Americans say that there's not one person that knows them well. This is not Boulder, this is America across the board. 40% of Americans say that they have zero close friends. And and so you and I are living in the middle of something you're probably aware of in this this mental health crisis that has been going on pre-COVID, but then it was uh, um, definitely deepened and worsened and maybe exposed in different ways through COVID and kind of after COVID. And so we have this entire uh, uh, nation built on the kind of pursuit of happiness that's starting to fall apart and so we have all these people living without meaning and purpose and so we you know we chase money and pleasure and stuff and we're finding out that's not enough and so all of a sudden maybe we're not just bodies maybe maybe we're souls as well and maybe there's more to life than just the pursuit of happiness. Uh, I I did this study um, from from 2000 to 2020 in America suicide rates have increased by 30 percent so over the last 20 years Loneliness is a felt need. Suicide rates have gone up by 30%, and Americans are projected to spend this next year, by, by the end of 23, Americans are projected to spend 15 billion dollars on anti- antidepressants that year. But, but here's, here's what's staggering, and, and, and again, I'm just, I'm just trying to set it up. This is not meant to be a downer. This is the reality of what we live in. When it comes to living life on mission, you say, why should I do that? Because there, there, there's a deep, felt need for community and love with no agenda. But in spite of all of the antidepressants that are being dispersed, more than 50,000 people commit suicide every year as of 22. That's 134 suicides a day in our nation alone. That is 11 suicides a minute. And I I heard the staggering stat this week that for every success, I I don't like that word, but it's what they used. For every successful um, suicide, there's a hundred other attempts, failed attempts. Suicide is the third leading cause still to this day of death among teenagers. In 2010, there were 311 million people in the U.S., Right, we're around 315 now. That same year, 253 million prescriptions were written for antidepressants. 311. 200, so almost like 80%. And listen, this is not meant to make light of that reality. It's, it's, just make, it's, it's meant to raise awareness. Hey guys, this is the world that we live in. and All around us people are in pain. And so what if living on mission with Jesus is less about a sales strategy to, to con, you know, to win our friends and convert them to Christianity, and more like just loving the person in front of you? And, and, and by the way, those stats are not exempt in and outside of the church. And so it's, it's a very real reality that those stats are absolutely true in this room today. And many of you benefit from life-giving community through our city groups. And and we're on a kind of an off week, but the goal is that you build such deep relationships through a semester in a city group that even you know while we're have, we have a month off of the regular meeting, you have people that you're living life with every week. If you're not in a city group, friends, that, that's one of the spaces that we create and cultivate and address loneliness. Yes, we grow in our relationship with God. Yes, we grow in our relationship with another, but it also begins to deal with these things. And no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome in those spaces. And that's an invitation for you. That's an invitation for anyone. But there's also a bunch of other people, one hundred and ten thousand people in our city, ninety three percent of them, over ninety three thousand people in this city that you and I live work and play in, that are not coming to your city group, that are not coming to a weekend gathering and they're still alone. All around us, people are in pain. And so we got to stay committed to community, but we also have to adopt Jesus' heart for what he called, the lost. And we talked about that last week. So you can go back and catch it on our podcast or our our YouTube channel. Um, But the reality is when when it comes to you and I following Jesus, we can't give what we don't have. And so we need community ourselves. We need a relationship with Jesus that fills us then to love others. But today we're going to look at the practical how, because it might be intimidating to you. You're like, cool, my heart breaks too. I mean, I want to address loneliness. Whether or not my neighbors come to faith, I want them to know I'm in their corner. I don't have an agenda. It's not like, hey, either you know, say yes to Jesus or we're not friends anymore. We don't even have to talk about faith. Just eat a meal with me. But it might be intimidating. Like, how do I create that space? And what if I'm not an extrovert? And like, what do I do about this? So we're gonna look at Jesus and the how today, okay? Luke chapter 19. Let me show you this story. This is a story that we, you and I can learn from on the how. So Jesus enters the city called Jericho. He's passing through it. And behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And by the way, this this would have been received first century to oral, like an oral kind of presentation of this story like we're doing right now. And everyone in, in the room, their, their kind of stomachs would have turned at the word chief tax collector. This is like the, the bottom of the rung of society. This guy was an abs- absolute menace. Okay, he's empowered. He's a, he's a Jew that has sold out to the Roman government. The Roman government, let's say they have a 50% tax that they show up with. Well, he's empowered then with a Roman legion behind him to, to create whatever tax he wants to fill his pockets. So Roman wants 50, but I'm charging you 75, and you can do nothing about it because I've got a Roman legion behind me And so these guys have sold out their betrayers, and everybody hates their guts, okay? So we have Zacchaeus entering the story. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. I I love this, right? This guy's interested. He's heard about Jesus. He's not a follower of Jesus, but he's kind of like, who is this Jesus guy? And maybe you're showing up in that same space. You'd be kind of hard-pressed to find that there's a lot of people in and around your life that are kind of interested on like, who is this Jesus guy, you know, I've had some struggles with the church, and I'm not really sure what I believe and where I find myself on my, on my faith journey, but asking this question is important. Who is Jesus? So on account of the crowd, uh, but on, on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Okay, so Zacchaeus is a short dude, okay? And he ran on ahead, this is kind of interesting, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. This is probably pretty intense, right? And, he, and Luke goes on, and he tells us, Uh, um, that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him. So this is like so Jesus, right? Crowds around him, all that stuff. And Jesus is just like so in tune with God's heart. He has those eyes to see that we talked about last week, that he stops what he's doing and he looks up at Zacchaeus in the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. How do you like that? That's so awesome of Jesus, right? So, like, tip number one, invite yourself into people's homes, right? Like, hey, I'm having dinner at your house tonight, okay? Uh, that, that's maybe not that part, but we'll, we'll learn, okay? So he says, I'm going to have, granted, Jesus didn't have a house, so this is how Jesus did dinner parties, right? Like, you got a table, right? Let's go. So Jesus shows up, he hurries and comes down and receives him joyfully. So, again, this guy is, is a menace. Everybody hates his guts, but in this space, he responds joyfully to Jesus' invitation. And when everyone else saw it, specifically the religious leaders, okay, the people that thought they had it all together, what did they do? They grumbled. And it's interesting, right, because we see this Jesus who had dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. And like kind of in our day, we're like, man, Jesus is so cool. Like, like what an awesome Jesus. But everybody, man, when they saw Jesus doing this, that was not the felt reaction. They were kind of disgusted that Jesus would hang out with the, the bottom of the, the society ladder here. And so uh, they would say things like, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. <laughs> I'm going to talk like that, but it's still kind of funny. Verse 8, he goes on. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, I give it to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus has a change of heart in this interaction with Jesus. Obviously, we don't have the full context of what's happening. But this is what Luke captures. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, we looked at this last week, came, what was Jesus' priority? To seek and to save the lost. So you look at this story. And I don't know if you heard this, you know, if you grew up in church, you know, there's a little song that goes with it, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah, that's all I know. I didn't hear the rest of the song. <laughs> but, uh, right, there's a song that goes with it. And so you got to ask the question, like, what's the moral of the, th- of the story here? Like, Jesus of short people? Like, you know, what's the, what, what are we getting after here? And this is not a cute story from Luke. This would have been a very disturbing one. And the idea here is that Jesus hangs out with people that everyone thought to be Deplorable. And so I want you to just imagine for a second, and this is, this is the only time ever you're going to be invited to be judgmental in your heart and mind at City Church, okay? So every other time it doesn't count. But right now, I just want you to think in your heart and mind, who's at the bottom of, like, the moral rung in our society? Just right now, in your own heart and mind, who's, like, yeah, just the worst of the worst, the, the, the deplorables, if you will? Just kind of maybe get those personas in your in your mind kind of where your stomach starts to get a little sick and then imagine jesus having dinner with them that that was the feeling in the first century but here's the deal what you and I miss out on is that meals meant more in the first century than they do to us. Meals served as boundary markers in the first century, meaning meals were how people were brought together, and meals were how people were separated. As a general rule, you and I eat with people that we like, but meals were more than food. There was no fast food. There was no just kind of get it in there to fuel for the system, right? Meals were central to life in the first century. It was symbolic of friendship and intimacy and community, of life and inclusion, to share a table, to share a meal with someone was a screaming declaration of acceptance and invitation. And so for Jesus to be sitting at the table sharing a meal with Zacchaeus is just absolutely crazy. One one scholar said it this way, that Jesus got himself killed because of the way that he ate. He ate with all the wrong kinds of people. And so I want you to understand, for Jesus, meals were not a boundary marker, but they were a sign of God's great welcome into the kingdom of God. They weren't a way to keep people out, but they were actually a way to bring people in. And and probably everyone in the room, you've had significant meals that you've shared that weren't really like pomp, they weren't like service, they weren't meant to impress, they were just genuine meals with friends where there was a deep connection made. You and I have glimpses of that, but we lose some of that in our Western culture. And what's unique is in verse nine, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. We talked about this a little bit. Jesus coming to seek and save the lost. And and this passage will kind of mess with your theology. Like, okay, so like, wait a minute, how did that happen? Well, he sold half his stuff and um, said he's going to restore anybody that he's wronged. Like, wait a minute, I thought it was like... (laughs) Trusting in Jesus or praying a prayer or grace through faith, like what does this mean? And I want you to see the big picture here goes back to what we talked about last week, that in Zacchaeus we see this repentance and trust in Jesus. Repent means to change the way that we think, to align our hearts and minds with what Jesus says about God and his kingdom, a new way to live, a new way to be fully human. And so what we see in this incredible picture is a soul that was far from God brought back into relationship with God through Jesus because of this posture of the heart and mind to repent and believe, okay? And then I don't want you to miss this. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. So if this is an oral culture, they would have sat down and read the entire book of Luke in one setting, okay? We're just reading one little space But just before this, in Luke chapter 7, they would have heard the same phrase, the son of man came. And their ears would have perked up. They would have connected the dots that there's a parallel here. So let me show you in Luke 7 what they would have connected immediately in their hearts and minds to this story. In Luke 7, we see Luke recording that John the Baptist, everyone was saying, he's come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And everyone said, "He, he has a demon. But then Jesus shows up, the son of man has come. There it is again, you see that phrase? So, so again, the son of man has come. What has he come doing? Eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children, Jesus says. Or the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> That's what that means. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So again, here we are, another meal. He goes into the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. Look what happens. Luke records for us. This is crazy. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, that's another way to say a prostitute. So tax collectors and sinners, they're at the bottom of the room. Tax collectors and prostitutes. When when she learned that Jesus was at, at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with this would have been a year and a half of wages that she's dumping on Jesus' feet. No woman in the first century would be letting down their hair. There's only one kind of woman that let down their hair in public, you know what I'm saying? So this is a moment, okay? And then look what happens. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said, man, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus had a clue, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for he is a sinner, and Jesus goes on to hear his thoughts, a little creepy, careful what you think around Jesus, right, like, and he hears his thoughts, and, and he calls him out, and he kind of plays the scenario forward, um, and at the end of the day, basically says, man, th- this woman has been more of a host than you have, you didn't, you didn't greet me, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't anoint my head, but she's done all of those things, so he puts it back on him, this woman's sins are forgiven because of her faith. now, I don't want you to miss this picture, it's a repeat of the Son of Man came to do two things. And so um, there's this incredible little book that I, I, I talked about last week. I'll show you in a second. But, it, well, it's called A Meal with Jesus. There he is. It is right there. Ah, look at me. I'm on it. <laughs> uh, so there's this incredible little book, A Meal with Jesus. Highly recommend it. It's great. It'll move you. You know, if you want something to, like, disturb you and make you do the things you're uncomfortable with, that's for you, Okay. Um, I should set it up better next time. Trick you. <laughs> My bad. Uh, anyway, it's a really good book, but he has this entire premise of Jesus had a, a a what and a how. What did Jesus come to do and how did he come to do it? And so I'm, I'm going to give it to you. From these two passages, he says the entire book of Luke gives us a what Jesus came to do and a how he came to do it. What did Jesus came to do? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, right? He said that out of his own mouth. How did Jesus come to do that very thing? How did Jesus move about on mission with Jesus? He came eating and drinking, how many of my foodies in the room are like, yes, like, I can do that. This is my kind of Jesus, right? Jesus lived in a, in a culture that was hostile to his good news. And you got to ask, like, how did he change lives? It was one meal at a time. You, you might ask the question, what was Jesus' method of evangelism? It was sharing meals. And so at the center of Jesus, following him, it is this mission. Henry nolan says it this way. Um, it, it belongs to the core of, the, of, of Christian spirituality that we reach out to others with the good news. I heard it said this week, the gospel always, this, this good news, it always comes to us on the way to someone else. I was like, dang, that's pretty dang good. I've heard it said in a similar way that as Jesus followers, we're, we're called to be rivers, not reservoirs of his love. or or invited to be contributors and not consumers. You guys tracking with me on on the space here? So so Jesus had this incredible ability to meet people where they are. And so whether he was in a crowd preaching to thousands or he was with the marginalized, he would love people well. And and, and here's the disposition, here's the posture of Jesus' heart. Whether it was in a crowd or at a table, you're invited. Listen, listen. You're wanted at my table. You're wanted in my kingdom. Isn't that, doesn't that move you? The marginalized, the deplorable. The word hospitality that you and I probably hear a lot is not true to the original word that we see in the scriptures and not true to the the idea here in the first century. The word hospitality literally means in the Greek to love the stranger or the foreigner as a guest in your home and your life. The word hospitality has nothing to do with the people that you know. You and I, right? We have this hosp- hospitality idea of cre- creating an environment for our friends that is not even close to the word hospitality in the scriptures. It is literally loving the stranger, the foreigner as a guest in your home or your life. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield wrote this incredible book I'll share with you in a minute but she said the goal of hospitality is to move strangers to neighbors and neighbors into family and so how do we express the invitation of God through tangible acts of love and what we see in the life of Jesus is through food and shelter and relationship and so let me show you Romans 12 here's that word Romans 12 13 seek to show hospitality there's that word that word seek, I don't want you to miss it. Like, hey, when, you're, when it's convenient, when you get a chance, this word seek means to do something with intense effort or definite purpose. Seek intensely to show hospitality for the stranger so you can turn them into neighbors and family. This is the heart of God. All of us, every single follower of Jesus in the room, you know what Jesus did for us? He, he, he was seeking the space of hospitality to turn strangers Scriptures would even use the word enemies and family. You and I get to live that kind of love. And it's crazy uncomfortable, right? You're like, holy moly. I don't know. Listen, I, this is not on the screen, uh, but I'm going to read it for you. First Peter 4, 8. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. First Peter 4, 8 and 9. Listen to this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. Catch this without grumbling. <laughs> for my introverts in the room, this is for you. Check this out. I got this picture for you. <laughs> you gotta, I'll give you a second because you got to read, okay? Introverts, please leave by nine. I don't know if this is permission or, or a stab. I'm not sure, but for my introverts in the room, for my clean feet freaks in the room, you're like, ah, how do I open up my home to people and live a life of hospitality? Hebrews 13, let me show you this verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. It literally gives us the definition. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What does that even mean? (laughs) I don't know. But uh, that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) The point is, do it. Get to hang out with some angels, I guess. I don't know. What's interesting is 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, they both make requirements for pastors or elders of the church to live lives of hospitality. Right? I've, I've seen pastors kind of fired from their church for misconduct and running away from the secretary, with the secretary or you know doing things they shouldn't be doing. I've never seen a pastor fired for a lack of a hospitable lifestyle. I'm hospitable, by the way, so don't, don't fire me. Um, Rosaria Butterfield wrote this incredible book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, And a meal with Jesus is disturbing. This one just will flat out mess you up, okay? (laughs) Like, so uh, it's worth your read because it pushes on the very thing that you know is true in your heart that you try to avoid. And here's a quote from what she calls living a life of radically ordinary hospitality. Check this out. She says, Radical, radically ordinary hospitality, those who live this way are, are, live it to see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family. Listen to this. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as their own at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged, and they know that the gospel comes with a house key. I was with some friends this week on a retreat, and um, they're pretty well off, have a really successful business And they bought a lake house that was just a dump. And they renovated the whole thing on their own dollar. And are using it 100% for their church, other local churches to serve other people. And I, I kid you not, his name is JJ. Incredible dude. And out of his own mouth, he says, this is not mine. It's ours. And he looked at the other pastors in the room and says, this is ours to use for God's kingdom to serve other people. They bought a whole house. And renovated. It. I'm like, dang! Can you renovate my house? Like, uh, but but. And then it's not. They don't even live there. They use it full time for other people, and it's all on their own dollar. And you're like, well, I don't have any dollars. <laughs> so how do I? How do I? Do I have to buy a, a boat too? Like, what do we do? I rode a jet ski this week for the first time in my life, guys. It has nothing to do with the service, but I just want you to know. It was terrifying. 80 miles an hour on a mini boat but I won when we raced. I just want you to know. Okay. All right. So, so to be clear, hospitality is not entertainment like we think of, you know, in, in the Western culture. So, so I don't want you to get stuck in minimalism, cool, you know, farmhouse table, three course meal, high tea, fancy Edison light bulbs. You know what I mean? Like you got, you got to ask the question. You're like, okay, how do I live a life of hospitality if I'm poor <laughs> or if I have roommates or if I live in a studio apartment? Like, genuinely, how do I live a life of hospitality? Just remember, Jesus didn't have any of that. Now, granted, he invited himself into other people's homes, but, uh, but, but genuinely, right? There's the difference between entertainment and hospitality. Hospitality has a heart of inclusion, of serving others. It's not about performance, right? It's, it's about giving and receiving, right? So it's, it's not trying to impress. Um, it's, not, it's not this pre-planned, like, okay, first quarter of every month, I'm hospitable. It's a rhythm of your life. It's who you are. And it's in the space of generosity. And so uh, Jesus said it this way. Check this out in Luke 14. He said uh, to those who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, by the way, Jesus assumes we're going to be party people. Okay? Not if, but when you throw a party, I just want to say okay? I've not been invited to near as many parties as I'd like. So he says, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Dang it. Because they could also invite you in return and you'll be repaid. You're like, right. <laughs> That's exactly the point, Jesus. And he says, no, no, no. When you give a feast, when you throw a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the outcast, the lonely, the alone. We've said it often here, man, that we have the privilege of being family to those don't ha- that, that don't have family. He says, if you do that, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I need you to understand that hospitality, the heart of Jesus, it crosses culture and race and socioeconomic status and stage of life and background and life experience and hobbies. There is no common ground other than the love of God. So I had one lady that didn't like our church. She was super mad. I know you're like, that's impossible. She was super mad because we didn't have age-specific city groups. We didn't have a city group for her life stage and style. And I was like... If we don't have space for everyone, then we end up pigeonholing ourselves into just one mindset. I want the old to be with the young and different life stages and different life experiences to cross culture. As much diversity as possible is the picture of the family of God. And so I gave her a high five and said, see you later. <laughs> um Actually, I didn't because she never came back. I didn't get to give her a high five, but I got a nasty email. <laughs> anyway, the point was, like, I'm unapologetic. Like, Let's create a diverse culture that has a, a common ground of the love of God. You don't have to have hobbies in common with me for us to connect in life, to be my kind of people. We say it often here at City Church that most of your neighbors and friends probably have a better chance of meeting Jesus at your kitchen table than they do on a Sunday morning. And that's not to say that a Sunday morning is not valuable. It's not to say don't invite people. No, none of that. It's just the reality that we shouldn't stop at an invite. And so I want you to just imagine with me as we close our time. I'm going to invite uh, uh, whoever's playing the keys to come up. I think it's Kari. (laughs) Yeah, I got it. It's always a a mix-up. I'm like calling the wrong people every week, but uh, this week I got it right. That's just kind of a fun game. (laughs) Uh, um, But I want you to imagine with me, as Kari comes up, I want you to imagine a city that could be skeptical of our beliefs, but still blown away by our love. I want you to imagine a city and imagine a church where radically ordinary hospitality is the norm and lives are being changed one meal at a time. Radically ordinary hospitality is the invitation for you and I. Now, I'm at Capital One Cafe on Pearl Street this week, I'm working on this message and I get a text from a guy named Riley that uh, I met maybe a month or two ago. So I'm sitting in Capital One two months ago, I got my motorcycle helmet sitting on the thing next to my laptop. These guys walk in, they had just moved there, they start up a conversation, oh, you have a bike, that's your bike, We had this whole conversation, swap numbers, hey, let's hang out, like this whole thing. I'm like, cool, like, that was easy. Um, so I get Riley and then his roommate's number, and then multiple times, Riley, he lives in Longmont. He'll come into Boulder. Hey, we're going out for drinks tonight. You want to come? Hey, you we're going this. You want to come? He texts me all the time. And, and like I'm like, dude, I got two little kids, and I can't, you know, in 15 minutes, roll out the door and go get, grab drinks. But let's hang out. <laughs> and then I'm at Pearl Street. I'm working on this message. And I'm on a time limit, because I'm going out of, out of town this week. And in the middle of me writing about hospitality, Riley texts me. and He says, hey, is that your motorcycle on Pearl Street? i like, Sure is. He's like, I'm here. You want to go for a ride? I'm like, dang it. I'm like, I, ah. Uh, and again, I've, multiple times I've tried to connect with this guy. I have no idea what a spiritual journey is, nothing. And I'm working on hospitality. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm working right now. Let me, and I, and I just stop my text. And I look at my notes. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> like, I can't with good integrity, like, talk about hospitality and not let this interrupt my day. And we talk about it all the time. Jesus had this incredible ability to not be in a hurry and he just lived this interruptible life, right? And so I just want you to know there's like tons resisting it inside of me. So I wrap up my notes. He's grabbing lunch. I'm like, cool, hey, 30 minutes. Um, let me know when you're done with lunch. We'll go for a ride. I gotta get home to get my kids from school. So it's 2.30. I don't know Riley. In fact, I can't remember what he looks like. I'm hoping that I, he waves at me when I walk up because I don't, it's been a long time. I'm like, cool. And Riley's an awesome guy. We, we jump on bikes Take a loop around Lee Hill. I take him to one of my secret spots. He's like, "This is amazing! Let's go on a motorcycle." You know, we do all these things, right? And I'm looking. I'm like, "All right, God, here I am." At radically, hospi- like, ordinary hospitality. It's not just a meal. It's right now. It's a motorcycle ride. Two separate motorcycles, by the way. We did not ride together. In case you were, he was. <laughs> just thought about that. That's a real intimate connection. <laughs> he's he's like twice my size, like this way. So, anyway, um, we we do that. Um, and we end up back at my house, and he's in a dip, and uh, and I'm looking for a moment to invite him. It never really opens up we motorcycles and all of that. And so then later, I just text him. I just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Last week, I challenged all of you invite one person to City Church. Just do it. One person. Maybe you didn't do that challenge last week. Maybe you can do it this week. I text Riley and I said, hey man, he doesn't know my pastor. He didn't know, I go to City Church. I said, hey, um, I just wanted to invite you to join us at City Church one Sunday. He's a traveling nurse, and so he's got a pretty flexible schedule. I just want to invite you to come and join us. And I have no... You know, I'm like, I might ruin this relationship forever <laughs> right now. And he texts me back, and he says, I'd love to. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> yeah! He's like, but I'm out of town this week. Dang it. So that's why I'm telling his story right now, because he's not in the room. you um, can watch online, and it's all good. But, uh, Riley, I love you. But... Uh, anyway, he says, I'd love to. I'm out of town this week, but, but I'd love to come. And then I say, hey, we have city groups that meet during the week too. He says, I'd love to come to yours. I'm like, no, I still don't know his story. I have no idea anything about the dude other than God placed him in front of me. Radically ordinary hospitality. You guys get the picture? Okay. Seth last night was with one of his coworkers. They went to a cigar lounge with three other city church dudes. Such a manly thing to do. <laughs> Sipping bourbon. And, um, his coworker that he's been investing in for two years has never moved on anything remotely close to city church. And he got, he got him in the room last night with a bunch of other dudes. And Seth got a text last night after it was over. And he said, Hey, next time you're hanging out with all those guys, I would love to hang out with you guys again. Radically ordinary hospitality, right? And for some of you, you're like, Oh, well, I don't know how to you know, do this or that. Man, it's, it's, it's lunch with a coworker. It's drinks after work. It's, it's coffee, right? I, Quite frankly, guys, God built City Church to what it is today on the front end at Danielle and I's kitchen table. One meal at a time, one relationship at a time. And all I'm telling you is whether it's at your table or at the bar or hiking a trail or at all of the above, God wants to build his kingdom at your table and through your life. And so for you and I, there there is something unique about the home. Most of us, it's a place of refuge. But Jesus is calling us and pushing on us today to make it a place of hospitality. So this week, your one challenge is no city groups, you got no excuse, okay? You know have a full schedule because you got a full time slot open, I know it. You got nowhere to be. Here's my challenge for you this week. Share one meal with someone far from God this week. Just try to get one meal, whether it's in your home or at a restaurant or whatever. Share one meal with someone far from God. And, and if you don't know their story, then that counts, Okay. Share one meal with somebody this week. And if you didn't do the challenge last week, just invite one person to City Church. See how God uses it. And I just just want to remind you, this is both practice and posture. What would it look like to live lives of radically ordinary hospitality? Here's what I know about you. No matter where you're on your spiritual journey, there's something in your heart that kind of longs for more. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, there's something in your heart that longs for more of God, experiencing more of God, the presence, the power of God, working in and through our lives. And we spent all year walking through being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he did. And now we're in that space. They've never been separate. But don't miss the moment to do what he wants to do through you. So one of the ways that we experience the life and the presence and power of God, it is through those internal dispositions and practices, right? It's Sabbath and it's silence and solitude and Bible reading and prayer that we spend time with God alone to experience his love. But one of the ways that we experience the love of God is by going out and loving others. You want to grow your faith in this next season? Live a life of intentional radically ordinary hospitality. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for our time today. It's been an honor and a privilege to gather. It's, it's so exciting to watch what you've built so far. You're building your church. You're building your kingdom. You're building us. And, and most of what you've done is because most of the people in the room, they live lives of radically ordinary hospitality, but we're all so busy. We all get distracted. Our plates get full. We kind of get scattered. We, 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 we have a lot on our plates. We have kids to balance and jobs and it's summer. and it, it, It's kind of easy in this season to check out, to take a step back and just kind of coast in our relationship with you and what it means to live on mission. But God, let our hearts not, not forget that you never stopped pursuing us. You always lived a life of invitation. You were interruptible. It was a part of the rhythm of the way that you loved. And we're invited to love the same. And so right now, Jesus, I pray for my friends in the room. Would you put a face, a heart, a mind, a name just, just on our hearts and minds right now? The person that we need to, t- need to text today, inviting them over for dinner or for lunch, during our lunch break at work or for coffee one morning or for a hike or to go climbing. Would you put that one person or those 10 people on our hearts right now and would you just move us to not leave this place today until we have sent that invitation of intentional connection would you put it on our hearts and minds the faces and names of people we we should simply invite into this life giving community and as you're praying over those people would you just take a moment and pray over the, the people coming to mind right now God's heart is for them ask God for his heart on your heart As you're praying over those names and faces um, and your heads are bowed, just kind of a moment of reflection. If If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I just want to speak to you for a second to make it clear that the reason that we live lives of a radically generous hospitality, radically ordinary hospitality, the reason that this is such a big topic for us, is because it was God's heart for us. That God loved us in this way and it has changed everything for those of us that are followers of Jesus. And if you have never experienced the love of God in that way, if you have never responded to the love of God, heard the good news that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again to forgive you of sin and to restore you back into a loving relationship with God, all of that screams God's love for you. And the only thing on, on your plate today, the only decision in front of you is whether, whether or not you want to receive the gift that Jesus gave his life to purchase for you. Say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I want to trust in you and be forgiven of my sin. I want a relationship with God today, and I want to follow you. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, however you would respond in your heart and mind, however you would pray the things that that I was just sharing with you, I want you to have confidence today that you respond by trusting in Jesus that emphatically you can be saved today, adopted into the family of God. Heaven roars in celebration, and we want to walk alongside you in that decision. So if you have questions or If you're making that decision today, you can let us know on that connection card. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, you've never taken a step to celebrate publicly that Jesus has saved you on the inside, then we want to celebrate that with you. You can let us know on that connection card. If you need community, if if loneliness is an issue, if you you need prayer, then let us know you're not alone. And lastly, if we can pray over your friends, coworkers, neighbors, family, Those that are far from God, you can put that on the back of the connection card. Jesus, thank you for using us, trusting us, loving us, and inviting us to join you in what you're doing here in Boulder. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.